Again and welcome uh, to the Strange Brew Podcast. My name is Jason Barnard, and I have the massive, massive pleasure of uh, speaking today to George Kayanis. If you don't know him, he's the uh, Norwegian uh, singer, songwriter, and lyricist, possibly uh, best known for Sailor. You know, had some massive hits like Glass of Champagne. But um, we're also here to talk about two of the records that he released as part of a trio, Data, in the 1980s, which are superb and uh, have been re-released on Angel Air. We're covering this chronologically, and it really does show the scope and range of uh, George's career. So we opened with Eclection and a song called Violet Dew, which kind of really just showed the arc of, of George's career and the, the sound. So the first song was, I think, way back in 1968. Uh, first of all, welcome, George. Hi, Jason. Good to be here. And it was interesting. I was talking about the, the range of music, and, and really, we kind of we opened with um, a very sort of Jefferson Airplane, Fairport convention sound. But what's not that well known is that you wrote most of the songs with that group, and they had quite a few notable members in them. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, the thing is, the whole reason for me to come to the UK in 1967 
was to try to sort of hone my skills as a songwriter and find a vehicle or form some entity that you know would be the vehicle for these songs. Um, very ambitious, and uh, it was very tough. I seemed to sort of know, get to know much more about how to deliver groceries in certain parts of uh, Notting Hill Gate than actually doing <clears throat> songwriting and stuff, but such is life. One has to live. But yes, I mean, in a restaurant when I was playing, from table to table, my huge 12-string, trying very hard not to hit people in the head with the with my guitar, I met a guy called Michael Rosen. And he, I mean, instantly knew that I must have spent time in Canada because of the songs that I was singing, Gordon Lightfoot, Ian, Ian and Sylvia, and stuff like this. So we made a connection. A few months later, we formed a collection. But he too was in the UK for similar reasons to me. He also wanted to be a songwriter. But I ended up writing most of the songs for a collection. I mean, it was a learning curve. And some of the songs were kind of outrageous. And uh, I wasn't that really au fait with my English at that time because, you know, I learned English in Canada. And um, so some of the obscure lyrics were sort of regarded by most people as being sort of particularly poetic in an unusual way rather than just bad English or weird English. It was a learning process. And uh, then Jack Halsman came along from uh, Electra Records. He was over here, and uh, he wanted to see us. Somebody told him about us, apparently, and uh, he signed us, which was unbelievable. I mean, this was a label with the doors on it. That was amazing. The name, by the way, was uh, something that uh, Johnny Mitchell came up with, who was a friend of uh, Michael's uh, wife, Marcy. And uh, she thought, you know, because we were such a different eclectic bunch of people she thought well why don't you call yourself a collection and so we did so that's the story behind that it's a lovely uh, neat link there there's this one track that i believe is uh, sung by uh, yourself and that's in her mind in her mind yeah uh, it's a, it's a weird song uh, it's um, most people seem to sort of think of it as somebody who probably committed suicide that may be the case or not but it's uh, i was in a very sort of uh, strange uh, I don't know, twilight of mindset at that time. And uh, it sort of formed itself in some strange way. It's difficult to explain. But uh, I sort of like the song because it has a, I don't know, a quality which is, uh, I think, a little bit more, better formed than a lot of the other tracks. But of course, Violet, too, <laughs> me being psychedelic, is uh, very, very funny. But yeah, you know, we had a lot of fun with this stuff. So what more can you want? Yeah, and it's a, a real sort of international group, and and many, many of the bands like sort of, uh, especially sort of like Jerry and Trevor came, you know, were well known with their connections with uh, Fairport Convention and the the English folk rock scene. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. But I mean, it was, it was fantastic for me because suddenly I was right in the middle of this wonderful world of music, popular music in the UK, you know, London. It was the heart of everything at the time. It felt like and. Uh, I was very privileged to be able to actually be here, you know, and actually see it happening around me. Of course, it's happened. It's been happening for quite some time already. I mean, the uh, I think the uh, Sgt. Pepper album had just come out as well just before I got there, which was pretty awesome. But also seeing all these all these bands on TV, it was on the one hand extremely exciting, on the other hand extremely depressing, because you know the standard of uh, of the songs and lyrical writing. And uh, was just uh, quite extraordinary, at least to me, you know, and I'm sure to most people. So it was, uh, it was frightening and, and and wonderful all at the same time. And was it just that um, different members of the group wanted to go out and you know explore different types of music, and or is it individual personalities that led to the split? 
Despite, yeah, it was really that. I mean, I mean, Trevor never really wanted to play bass. Uh, that was one thing, which was a <clears throat> slight problem for him. But, you know, he ended up being almost a lead singer in some ways. Uh, although Carolee Mayle, the female vocalist, Australian too, uh, had a wonderful voice. And I think she got a bit uh, discouraged by the fact that she wasn't singing more lead vocals. And I totally understand that. The trouble is, you know, very often who writes the song, I mean, if, if that person is capable of singing, would kind of like to sing it. You know, it's just one of those things. I mean, Trevor was very folky in his uh, approach to things, obviously. Uh, Michael was more into new things. I was just exploring whatever I could explore. I was sort of going from sort of pseudo-classical at times uh, to psychedelic to other things. So I was sort of just exploring like how. I don't know, it, it sort of limped along and and then we changed lead singer and I mean, it sort of gradually just uh, disintegrated, which these things often do because, you know, there are too many different uh, ideas about what to do and what to uh, sing. <laughs> cool, let's uh, play the final track by Eclection and that's sung by you and that's In Her Mind.
you were talking about your songwriting, and um, so after the split up uh, of the collection, you just carried on songwriting. Did you get sort of publishing contracts, something like that? Because yeah, yes, uh, absolutely. I I got one with Chapel Music, and uh, <clears throat> this was a very good thing because you can't really get to artists unless you bump into them on the road or something, you know, which is kind of unusual. But but a publisher obviously is more capable of actually getting the songs, new songs to their managements and things like this. And uh, I've written a bunch of songs, one of which was this little ditty called Flying Machine, which, uh, well, they thought maybe Cliff could have a bash at because Cliff, at that time, and he wasn't particularly happy of doing really romantic, sort of sensual songs. Uh, he he kind of liked to do things that didn't have that much to do with, you know, sexual things. So they sent it to him. And lo and behold, he... Uh, he seemed happy with it, so it was recorded. Although I had to do the, I had to do play the twelve string and the penny whistle because nobody else seemed to be able to do it quite in the way that it needed to be done. So <laughs> I remember being in Studio One at Abbey Road, sort of all on my own with a penny whistle in my guitar in this enormous studio and banging away, and then sort of getting my penny whistle part really having problems with it. It's a strange, difficult, difficult instrument to use unless you sort of use it all the time. That was a, obviously a wonderful thing for me because Cliff Richard obviously was a, a legendary artist even at that time. So that was very helpful. I mean, it was a reasonable hit, I suppose, in the UK. It did very well in Germany. It was, if you like, uh, a great feeling to think that I was capable of writing something that an artist of that caliber would be interested in. Feeling 
now we're kind of moving into to Sailor George, but I just want to talk about the roots of that. Was that sort of through your collaboration with Phil Pickett? It was indeed. Yeah, Phil Pickett actually was working as a staff member of Chapel Music, and he sort of became interested in the stuff that I was providing them with. And he called me up and just said, you know, hey, you know, I also write songs, and should we try to do something together? And I said, why not? Of course, you know, always interested in that. And so we actually recorded an album together called Kayana's Pickett. Actually, the album was called High Ho Silver, but we called ourselves Kayana's Pickett. And uh, he wrote six songs, I wrote six. And that was, uh, you know, and a very joyful experience. And, uh, you know, we played all the instruments ourselves. You know, we felt very, very <laughs> in control. But nothing really happened with the album because it really didn't really have management and it wasn't promoted by anything like this. But we sort of kept going, you know, we thought, well, maybe we should, we should expand into a group or something. And, uh, and we did. And uh, along came Henry Marsh and Grant Serpel. And uh, we became a kind of a soft rock band for a little while. And we p- submitted a, a, a demo tape, which of which Phil had two songs and I had two, to CBS, Epic CBS, uh, because of my publisher. Uh, and one of the songs on that tape was Traffic Jam. And uh, CBS seemed very keen on the idea of Traffic Jam. But... Um, I mean, it took a while for us to sort of get going with CBS because, okay, actually this is a bit difficult because the timing of all this. I was working on something on the side at the time, which was basically a kind of a review form of a musical, if you can imagine that, of a red light district somewhere in Holland or south of France or something like this. And I played them some of these demos that I'd made and uh, particularly Grant. I mean, just totally fell in love with it. And, uh, it became the consensus uh, within the, the band that maybe this is what we should have a bash with. And, uh, of course, I was delighted because this was stuff that was really close to my heart because I was writing from experience here because I used to frequent Red Light District, not just for the obvious reason, but just the atmosphere of it and why the girls did it and all that sort of stuff. So the lyrics tended to be much more poignant because, you know, when you write stuff about stuff you know about, it is much more, uh, usually tend to be more colorful and more interesting. So this happened before it was still in sort of mid-negotiation with, with Epic CBS. And so we submitted another tape. Well, in fact, we did a little audition for them with the new stuff. And funnily enough, just before that, Dick Asher, the uh, managing director of CBS, had just said, you know, getting really tired of all these rock bands with guitars, you know, isn't there something else around, you know, and bang, here was Sailor with strange instruments, including accordions, and he just fell in love with it, and he signed us up, and there we go. And the first Sailor album really became, rolled the songs, all the material really for this sort of... uh, sort of semi-musical come uh, a review and ex- so except for the traffic jam of course which they felt very strongly about as a single I, I fought very hard not to have it on the album because thematically it was out of tune with the rest of the tracks but of course in retrospect it was probably a very good thing because it was a very universal song and the rest of the stuff from the red light district not necessarily all very universal so that's how all that happened in a nutshell <laughs> century cobblestone streets with the horse and the carriages to rest our feet to the train and city tram K 
name the birth of Mechanical Man. And with Mechanical Man came the automobile, Henry Ford's Model T with an engine on wheels, and a crazy race began. Clearly a glass of champagne, that was a sort of mooring theme with the, the sort of sailor topic that kind of ran through through the first few albums. Yeah, I mean, the second album, Trouble, was a bit of a departure. I mean, it was made quite clear to me, and by myself too, that I really needed to try to think in single terms with some of these songs to, to see if we can get the, you know, the magic uh, single hit, which was the only important thing to sell the albums. I'd never quite thought along those lines before because, you know, I've been very selfish and just written the things that I really wanted to write about. Um, but the idea of a glass of champagne was such a simple, simple little thing. And I was terribly fascinated with the bass line that I heard on Roxy Music's uh, Virginia Plain, which was just this dunt, 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 uh, which was totally unusual, very unlike anything else. And 
I adopted a very similar style of base to a glass of champagne. Um, I mean, that's where the similarity absolutely ends. Although some people say the dang, 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 dang piano to start with is also copied for, or, or copied, if you like, from one of their songs. But that's a fascinating piano. But basically, it was a, a song that I wrote in about 20 minutes, half an hour. It sort of just burst out. But it was so simple and presumably so catchy because of it. I don't know. It didn't feel as if it was going against the grain of everything else because, you know, still being a European, basically, a continental European, champagne is okay. You know, it, it keeps its kind of its link with Europe. And it was kind of uh, a little bit sort of uh, pushing lyrics a little bit to the wrong side of things but in terms of uh, male and female. But at that time, it, the, the mood was different. I'm sure if, if a glass of champagne had been released today, it would have huge problems lyrically. But there you go. Hit. Yeah, yeah, massive hit, which was obviously fantastic. It's funny, Girls, 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 which was ultimately the bigger hit in terms of just number of plays and uh, worldwide sort of reach, took me, I slaved over that song for at least three to four weeks 
because I just couldn't get the, the right feel uh, lyrically to it. Um, and it, it was really horrible. I mean, uh, I just assumed after girls uh, after a glass of champagne that, oh, right, you know, I can just whap these things out or whatever. But uh, no, no such thing. But again, you know, girls, 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 perfect subject matter for a band called Sailor. Although, of course, we had a lot of Hello Sailors called the opposite kind, uh, inevitable. There's an interesting sort of mix of instruments with girls, girls, girls. Yeah, I mean, uh, the thing is, funny enough, I mean, the Sailor instrument, instrumentation was very unusual for its time. You know, we had a synthesizer bass for a start. The Nickelodeon, which I had to build when we started going live, because to be able to make it possible for four people to play the equivalent of seven instruments, which was quite a feat, but uh, I managed to do it. Uh, the instrumentation, I mean, my guitar, 12-string guitar, was muted. I had this muting device that I'd put on it, so it go tang, 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 like this. It didn't necessarily sound like a 12-string guitar, something more rhythmic. And although in many ways, Girls, Girls, Girls was a leaning a little bit too much towards trad jazz for my taste but still you know it, it didn't really to most people and then of course well, okay the kit was basically a kit like most bands so the guitar and the synth bass was already unusual so what henry was dealing with on the treble side of the nickelodeon which it was basically a piano keyboard uh, linked with synthesizer and a row of doorbells that I had adopted sort of hitting a glockenspiel. So you, every time you hit a note, you get all these different sounds happening at the same time. It was like a, a mechanical version of MIDI, if you like. And, uh, you know, but it worked and it was great. But of course, this thing that I had to build, you know, as soon as I had the opportunity of building it, and you know, I, I couldn't help it, sort of making it into something that looked like a particular kind of thing, not just instruments, you know, stacked on top of something. It became a self-contained sort of <laughs> strange work. And um, it all came apart, of course. And I call it Nickelodeon, not because, I mean, Nickelodeons usually were visual things, but there were some musical boxes that were referred to as Nickelodeons, so that's why it became the Nickelodeon. But yes, yeah, so when all our instrumentation was unusual, but we were able to reproduce everything exactly on stage as what we recorded which i was very keen to do and then so were the others too i mean you needed to have all the things because the sound was a very important part of it the color and all the different colors of the sound Continental romance. Shy girl, sexy girl, hell like that fancy world. Champagne, a gentle song, and a slow dance. Who makes it fun to spend your money? Who calls you honey most every day? Girls, 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 girls. Well, they made them up in Hollywood. I put them into the movies. Those lovely photographic splendors In and out of magazines This world of beauty queens Falling in love with the real big spenders But although their world may be frantic They're still romantic in their own way 
girls, girls, girls. Step on, the world keeps swinging. Put on the dazzling charm. Get up and find those pretty girls. But don't rush, keep it nice and gentle and sentimental. Well, that's certain moment. Moonlit ocean. Girls full of emotion, stepping on that snowboat to China. And next door in Japan, they know how to please a man. Dropping in for tea with my geisha. They've got that old-fashioned feeling when it comes to pleasing. They know their way. Next, we have one drink too many, which is uh, from the Sailor album Third Step. By then, were you kind of feeling constrained by the Sailor format? Was it kind of limiting, yeah, kind of what you could do? Or absolutely, you got it. <laughs> yeah, no, it's 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 difficult because okay, I mean, you you can't harp on about the same thing obviously all the time. I try to expand it to some extent, you know, song wise, lyrically, and all that sort of stuff, but. Um, uh, I mean, I started drawing more and more on the sort of my Mexican connection because uh, my mother and my sister lived there for a long time, so I used to go there all the time. And uh, one thing to many in terms of style of music is basically what's called Norteña, which is music from the north of Mexico. You know, it's it's that sort of style, which also a lot of American American uh, musicians in the south, in, uh, in the states, use as well. That sort of it's a typical style. And I, I started leaning more towards sort of Latino. Uh, music uh, or creating or writing Latino songs and stuff because I enjoyed it. I always enjoyed Latin music, Latino music, sorry. But again, you know, it, it didn't go that far away from what was still the sort of the core that remained of what Sailor somatically seemed, seemed to be about. But yes, yeah, so I mean, this, the, the end game sort of looming in the distance uh, began to sort of become clearer to me. And um, I was I was really drawing up in terms of what to write. Um, I mean, I tried with this Checkpoint album to sort of go into the sort of Cold War thing, you know, Checkpoint Charlie and all that, uh, which, you know, again, I, I enjoyed Keep Off the Streets at Night and stuff like this. But uh, it still didn't seem to uh, to go really where I needed to go. And I, I couldn't think of any more where to take this. Uh, which is why, you know, I just had to let it go at the uh, 19, sorry, 77 or something, 78. And I already become totally obsessed and fascinated with electronics, as one would. <clears throat> I had kitted myself out with all the latest rolling stuff and Lindrams and all that sort of stuff, and having an incredibly 
wonderful time with it, exploring all these things and the arpeggiator on the Juno 4 and all this stuff. I mean, it's just magic stuff uh, for a songwriter. I mean, gee.
I came up with this idea of data, the idea of, of, of a group sort of singing about current affairs, problems, what you see on TV and how much it taints you and all this stuff. I mean, like how it can taint your ideas and all this sort of stuff. And so in other words, a complete separation from the sort of warm, more sensual world of sailor. Uh, this was much starker and uh, sort of, I don't know, had a cold shine to it, but I, I was obsessed by it. And, uh, and I met these two girls, the Bolter girls, uh, great voices. And it, again, you know, it was fun to work with female voices rather than always having worked with, well, except for Carol E. Mail back in the, uh, the collection days, work with um, male voices most of the time was very refreshing. Everything seemed very, from the point of view of I mean, artistically or uh, creatively, it's like a clean start of something else. And it was very exciting. We're playing Fallout, which is a real sort of encapsulation of that electronica sound that you had, as well as the, the more sort of contemporary feels to the lyrics. Yeah, I've, yeah. It hasn't, it's just as contemporary today, unfortunately. The whole idea of uh, nuclear war and Fallout and all that sort of stuff. Uh, so uh, it's it's ironic. It was a, uh, something that felt like it expressed that aspect reasonably well with the, with the first album, Opera Electronica. Mm. Well, let's play it. Let's play uh, Data and uh, Fallout, uh, re-released uh, uh, currently on uh, Angel Air.
Next, also from Opera Electronica, we have uh, Cuckoo Land. Again, that really reflects the, the, the lyrical feel, what you were aiming for. Yeah, a, a different look, a, a more grown-up look at society, basically, although done in a slightly throwaway manner, obviously. This, you know, you, you start discovering that there's a lot of things that seem very crazy, that don't seem to, they shouldn't be like the way they are, uh, and yet, what can you really do about it? You know, that phase, which most people go through. So that's where I was at the time. Kukuland sort of talks about the madness of things, yeah. Next, we're, we're going through the uh, second of the albums that has, has, of the, the data albums that have been released on Angel Air Two Time, and uh, we have a very, very strong song here, "Living Inside Me." Mm. Yeah, well, uh, the Two Time album was really much more experimental in some ways. I've always been fairly obsessed with 
what I think of the really good country and Western music of America. The the really good stuff to me of country and Western music has a, almost a little link with the French chanson in the sense that it's always little stories about little events, local events. It could be, or passionate little things, not sort of the big issues. So a lot of data stuff actually became slightly country and westified in the sense that I, I let some of those influences sort of come into it. And I think, I mean, Living Inside Me was the first attempt, which um, sort of works, I think. I think I'm, I feel quite happy about that track also because of the the odd sort of positioning of the vocals, the sort of re- reply thing. So this, again, this was a, a, a little new departure. Yeah. 
Two Time was uh, definitely more experimental. The last two tracks of Two Time was uh, were in fact were songs that I had completed for Opera Electronica. That's why they sound more like Opera Electronica than Two Time. That is, uh, you know, by Silver Tongue Heroes, particularly. But uh, I mean, I just figured I'd just put them on there anyway because I quite liked the songs. That one and the uh, second one, which I actually don't even remember the title of, because it's not. That cool passion. Cool passion. Well, well done. Thank you. Um, that's why they are there. I couldn't resist just throwing in a, you know, a French song. I mean, okay, I'm uh, written a, a new French one written by me, of course, but. Um, because going to Paris a lot, you see little French, French's reactions to sort of the English electronic scene and stuff, they go over and it's all, you know, it's fascinating to them. And well, not just to them, obviously, but uh, I sort of like the take they have on it, you know, the sort of the way they would express it in French. So I just decided to write a song in, in French um, expressing those, those thoughts and feelings. That being music electronic? Yeah, music electronic, absolutely. Yeah, and and then the crazy a no a o no bungalow. <laughs> I shouldn't probably shouldn't try to explain that one, but um, it's fairly fairly insane. But so it's it's a mixed bag of things, and uh, and and of, yeah, of course, physical asylum, the opening track. I quite like that one, uh, but the you know the electronic emphasis in the sound is slightly is different from uh, uh, from um, Opera Electronica album because you know there's no guitar. Uh, it's all electronics now. That really sort of is what happened with, with the two-time album. Bizarre. 
Next, we have our final uh, data track. And uh, again, a really, really uh, strong song, Ricochet Love. Yeah, Ricochet Love. Well, this is another example of this sort of connection with American uh, country and Western. Because, I mean, in this, in it, that's a very, very country and Western create, uh, crafted song, but all electronics and sort of the rhythm box drums and stuff like this. So it's it has a very uh, unusual sound for being that kind of song. Because I mean, lyrically too, it's that kind. Of, it's, it's it's very sort of in the style of country and western, which makes it an, an odd thing. I've heard that you had sort of business difficulties that that sort of um, affected the group a little bit. Does that lead lead to sort of things? Yeah, the old age-old problem of not having the right setup uh, business-wise. In other words, management mm. or agents or whatever. It just basically means that things aren't well enough organized, not not, not promoted well enough. And, um, you know, it just we weren't doing any live work. So everything was kind of against a commercial success um, in terms of data. But uh, on the other hand, for me, obviously, it was great learning her uh, for, I mean, the whole elect- electronic thing. I loved it. So it was successful on other levels, but uh, not going to, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Marvellous. Uh, well, let's play uh, Rick Shade Love uh, by Data, all the way from, I believe, 1985. Mm-hmm. Correct.
been moving forward, um, I think, about five years now, and um, you were kindly enough to, to share an unreleased track uh, by Sailor, The Stone After Stone, which I believe was inspired by the Berlin Wall coming down. Yes, Stone After Stone. I was very affected by the uh, the events of of 89 when the wall came down because I'd been to Germany an awful lot of times, Berlin, and also East Berlin, you know, going through Checkpoint Charlie and stuff. And being an artist, it's impossible not to react to that. The whole sort of, that the all the gloominess of it, the, everything about it was just sort of tailor-made for sort of, one has to write something, one has to do something, you know, and hopefully that this would get resolved one day in the future, and, and it, it happened. And so I wrote the song very much with that in mind. It was absolutely all to do with that. And um, I had a bit of a kind of a negative epiphany about the song. I suddenly decided uh, that I'm not German. Uh, I haven't lived there. Here, you know, I'm, I'm best known for Sailor, which is this happy-go-lucky sort of fun band. If we put this out, it, it sort of feels very opportunistic. That, that's the conclusion I came to, and I decided not to do it which maybe was silly, I don't know, in retrospect, maybe it was. But, I mean, I know the only reason I wrote it is because I was moved by the whole situation. But, uh, I don't know, I just decided against it. But, I mean, I, st- I still like the song a lot. I like the sentiment of it. I think it pretty much says whatever I you know, felt about the situation and what the East represented, the horror of the East. So I decided to put it out in sort of the same date, you know, but I don't know how many years later. It was, it was only a few years ago, I think. I put, we decided to put it up on uh, online. Day after day until now Life ran away somehow Lost for a time to the borderline and gates with a one-way sign year after year until now hope would appear somehow for once even questions were treason now there's an answer to them all Stone after stone Stone after stone after stone Time after time until now Thoughts would align somehow For once To believe was just illusion Now it's a window to the world Dream after dream until now Fighting to be 
There was only one season Cold as the Cold War gone by Yes, we belong to the same world Yes, we belong to it all Once we had walls to divide us Now we can see how they fall For sometimes to build is to break it all down Stone After stone, after stone Stone, after stone, after stone Stone, after stone, after stone, after stone Stone, after stone, after stone, after stone. So we've just talked briefly about uh, the unreleased track that you made with Sailor, Stone After Stone, and uh, n- now we're kind of moving to a track which fit- fits more with that sort of, I don't know, uh, more fun Sailor uh, sound, and, and uh, I believe a hit, uh, The Secretary. Oh, The Secretary, yeah. Well, yeah, yeah I mean, this is um, the reformation of Sailor in the 90s. You know, I must confess I enjoyed it that time around too. The Secretary is, is as you said, a pretty uh, crazy fun song. You know, one can read again, things into it, which could be a little bit uncomfortable, especially these days with all the sort of the sexual harassment problems that's really surfacing and stuff. But uh, it, there's really nothing particularly of that sort of intended in this in this song. It's just basically fun. Remarkably, it's, it did pretty well, you know. And so we seem to be on the map again as Sailor Take Two. Uh, we did a lot of TV, also live stuff, so, you know, it seemed to sort of <laughs> represent itself in a slightly different form, but uh, still with a Nickelodeon.
So from the secretary, we have uh, we move forward a couple of years, um, and we have Street Lamp, which I think was the title track of the Sailor album released in this period. It has quite a little history to it. When I grew up in Trondheim, this is in Norway, we sort of lived up from Trondheim, the town itself, in the hills. And there was this strange restaurant that was very popular, especially during the skiing season. Uh, it was round, uh, with an amazing view over the, the dales below. Um, I was particularly fond of a certain food they made called... <laughs> It sounds terrible when you hear it in English, but in Norwegian it's called kjøttkaker. Now, kjøttkaker means meat cakes in Norwegian. Uh, I used to go down there and have it, and I was giving it for free because we were sort of well-known in the area and stuff like that. I was, became obsessed with this little kind of painting. It was more like a drawing, ink drawing, colored with color, of this guy, obviously drunk, leaning on, a, on this lamp post, uh, on this street lamp and cobblestone streets and it's an image that absolutely fixed itself in my brain to such an extent i always used used to think i I tried for years to see if i can get hold of the painting but it it just had disappeared because of renovations and stuff and this has haunted me virtually in my entire life this this painting and i said to myself i must finally do a song about it that's what street lamp is it's sort of finally, I finally managed to get that thing out of my system, you know, which, uh, with, you know, with, with pleasure. I mean, I, I like the song. I, I feel good about it. So, uh, yeah, that's why that's there. Marvellous. Let's play Street Lamp from 1992.
Now we're moving forward uh, a few more years, and we have Noir and Walking. That was a group you formed with uh, Tim Dry, I understand? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Well, Tim and I knew each other for some time. I mean, he was... He was one of the one of tick and talk in sort of this um, robotic team, very effective. I and mean, they did a lot of stuff and you know doing the whole sort of you know new romantic stuff and all that sort of period in the eighties and stuff. Amazing stuff they did. And Tim also did music. And we thought, well, you know, and you won't believe how how it, it came about. I mean, we both said to each other, well, what should we do? What should we write? You know, whatever. And we had the most ludicrous idea that why don't we try to write a Eurovision song? <laughs> and I mean, just the thought of it just sort of totally amused us both. Because, you know, if you think in terms of some new project, artistic project, you wouldn't really think Eurovision Song Contest. Although I have to say, I've watched it every year without fail. I find it fascinating, just even just the politics of it, but just you know all this all this different music coming from the different parts of Europe. But anyway, we we had a bash at it, and we decided that this was absolutely not the the way forward. And so the first thing we created was walking. Uh, I'd created sort of a back electronic backing track for it, and team came up with pretty much most most of the lyrics. I think for that, we both thought, no, we like this, because I mean. You know, we we love the whole sort of cafe scene, the cafe life, and the sort of romantic side of aspect of Paris, and and all that, um, all that what that brings to mind. And so, you know, we wanted to write something that had that as a menu, if you like, lyrically, and we felt it worked out quite well, and in terms of the song. But of course, then the problem begins. You know, who's going to release it? Uh, we don't really have a manager, so we find what was called a manager, but unfortunately not quite. I mean, it wasn't really right for us to be with that particular entity. But, you know, we still, we finished an album um, uh, with a lot of interesting things, I thought. N nothing really happened. It wasn't really promoted properly. And uh, again, you know, good old Peter, Peter Pinnell, you know, seemed keen to sort of do it, which was great. So at least it could be completed in that sense, you know, a complete journey from creation to release. Got your jacket? Yep. Got your coat? Uh-huh. Got your trousers? Uh-huh. Got your shoes? Mm-hmm. Your correspondent shoes? Let's go! Walking! Go walking! Walking! Searching through the city's rainy streets Don't look up because the sky is grey And the buildings threaten me with their sighs I saw a face in a window Maybe she was lonely or waiting for her lover A car does a three-point turn And roars into the distance Streetlights mirrored in puddles Stray dogs with matted coats Trot towards the dustbins that spew their rubbish in the road A couple arm in arm Hurry to their party As the gendarme smiles at their innocent love Come on! Walking! That's what we do! Walking Every time we feel blue Walking That's what we do Go walking Every time we need a new Street walk 
walkers in ballet skirts and fur coats. In desperate, seedy doorways. Sailors meeting angels in bars to drink and kiss their lives away. Restaurant signs like beacons in the dusk invite you with their warmth to fill your belly and drain the glass. Under deco lights and painted ancient faces. Waitresses in black with aprons and red lips. Sexy little things that you want to take home for the night. A coffee and a cognac will help you tell your stories to your best friend. Come on! Walking! That's what we do Go walking Every time we feel Walking That's what we do Go walking Un étranger à Paris avec son manteau long et chapeau noir Chinois sur les escaliers Sa bite autrefois bien dure et en forme maintenant dort jusqu'à demain Il a laissé l'argent au-dessus de son voyage Il y a une chambre rouge au centre de la ville Où on peut trouver des désirs étranges De voir Salomé dansant dans le miroir Comme un reflet poussière d'un temps perdu Pendant que la musique se fait prisonnière dans sa tête Des garçons en cuir sautent sur les motos et se fuient en sifflant Sur le vieux pont, une coupe de son bras Walking That's what we do Go walking Every time we feel Walking That's what we do Go walking Every time we need Walking That's what we do Go walking Every time we feel Walking That's what we do Go walking Every time we need Walking Moving on to our final track today, you did touch on it briefly, and that was the the, the mention of the uh, Sailor musical. And um, we're finishing on with a bit of a trailer for for, for that for oh, that right. show. Can you tell me about that project? Yes, well, it's, the project has literally been going on since the beginning. I mean, since, from the formation of Sailor, or we just prior to it. It's been a constant sort of relook, upgrade, relook, upgrade. What it has finally become is something, uh, you know, much more powerful than what it originally was. And I mean, absolutely romantic, but also has a very hard edge to it. It's set in Marseille, the tail end of um, the Second World War. And this guy is sent down for the purpose of hooking up with the French resistance in Marseille to protect the harbor when the Germans would need to pull out because of the... There's a, there's a whole other landing in the south of France, the Mediterranean landing. It was, you know, to sort of push the Germans back from the south. So that's the setting of the musical. It's all about the relationships of the people who actually were part of the of that unit of resistance. And, uh, you know, the things that develop, of course, romantic things and uh, jealousies, uh, problems, the local gangsters, a musical drama. I've written a lot of new songs for it as well, but it still has, it contains about a handful of uh, some of the songs that are totally relevant to that still. So that's sort of now pretty much on the point of being, you know, going to the next phase, finding the right production company and stuff like this. So the trailer was actually for the previous generation of this version, but it sort of fits. It's a little indication of... uh, 
the sort of the mood of it, if you like, and uh, it's I'm very excited about it. <laughs> So everyone should look out in the next uh, year or so, uh, a stage production. Of the Sailor Musical, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I mean, there, there is another project which I've also worked on for many, many years, People Industry. Something completely different is something operatic, the positive rebranding of mankind. Uh, how can you imagine that? Uh, anyway, so that's another project which become, again, will become apparent uh, this next year. And uh, much of the, the music we've played today is available on the uh, Angel Air website. Yeah, absolutely. It's been such a pleasure to talk about the range of music you've done, and uh, thank you so much. Well, thank you very much, Jason. I'm, I feel very privileged being on your show. You know, I've heard a lot about it, your, your podcast, and so, uh, you know, it seems to have a lot of people keen on what you're doing, so that's wonderful. So it's been great. Thank you very much, Jason. Sailor, you have rescued Marseille. You're my hero. Oh, I'm no hero. I think it's easier to shoot people than to understand them. Oh, Tommy, I know you'll come for me. Tommy, I love you, John. No more mercy. It's time to take the traitors down. You should pay like they paid before. Guilty as charged. Guilty. Not guilty. Can there be love for a woman like me? Is it a dream?